die, they go to heaven. That's our goal. That's our life. That's our desire here at Calvary. And, and uh, in case you don't, some of you have visited and been here before. In case you don't know me, I'm uh, uh, Bob Hooker, Robert Hooker, uh, known kind of both ways. Uh, Bob Hooker up north, Robert Hooker down south. So grew up here in the uh, Memphis area and uh, moved away some 30-something years ago, and, and God has brought us back here now and looking forward to it. Uh, a few minutes ago, you met my wife, Jo Beth. So uh, that's us. Uh, as time goes on, you get to meet some of our family. We have six daughters and uh, 21 grandchildren and one on the way. And so uh, uh, we're excited about that and, uh, and looking forward to you meeting the rest of the family sometime. I want you right now, if you would, go to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, we're actually doing pretty well on time. We're going to, uh, I think, be right according to schedule, our normal schedule. Uh, we kind of uh, shifted some things and eliminated some things. And uh, I have to say this, if you're going to John chapter 11, we're going to look at verse 25, 26. But out, uh, the kids that were here, and of course they've gone to their junior church now, they did a great job, yeah. didn't they? They really did a great job. Yeah, we ought to applaud for them even though they're not here. Amen. They did a great job. So pleased with them. They just, they just did so fantastic. And, uh, and I love that. And I want to really do want to thank everybody that worked hard. A lot of people stayed around all day yesterday trying to prepare. And the ones that created uh, all the decorations and things, it's, it's amazing. And I, I want to check again. We don't have our, since we don't have the pulpit, we don't have our monitors working. Am I getting volume out here? Are you hearing me out here okay? Sort of. Is the handheld off? Probably not. That one's off? Okay. You said it's off. So it's, that's not the problem. It's your fault. <laughs> I'm really worried. I want to make sure everybody hears. And... Uh, and I'll try to just talk loud enough, but uh, that'll keep kind of concerning me a little bit. But John chapter 11, verse, I think that's better. John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26 says, Jesus said, said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And then he asked this question, believest thou this? And that's really the question that I'm asking this morning on this Easter Sunday. Believest thou this? You may believe in coming to church on Easter Sunday morning. You may believe in coming to church every Sunday morning. But do we believe what he just said? We just saw a wonderful illustration of the greatest day in all of history. And I believe the young people did a fabulous job, but the greatest day in all of history is the day Jesus Christ arose from the grave. Without the resurrection, we have no salvation. It's not enough that Jesus would shed his blood and die. He must rise again. That's part of the gospel. He must rise again. We, we have to believe that not only did he shed his blood, not only was he beaten beyond recognition, not only did he die, but he arose from the grave. All that happened had to happen for our eternal life to be purchased for us. Jesus had to be beaten and torn. This is the way the scripture describes it. 
If you ever think about what happened to Christ, and there's really hardly any uh, statues or pictures or depictions that really describe, really show what happened to Jesus. The physical trauma of Christ begins in Gethsemane when he begins to sweat what it calls, what the scripture says, great drops of blood. And that's, that's not an illustration, that, that's a reality. He truly began, it's, it's a medical condition where you can sweat blood, where, where blood where the, will begin to rupture in your skin and it'll, it'll begin to pour out under great stress. And can you understand that the stress that Jesus Christ was under, when he, it's not just going to the cross, he's about to bear all of our sin. He's about to ha- have his father turn his back on him. Because of that sin. The palace guards take him. They blindfold him. And they spit upon him. And they strike him in the face. And they mock him. Jesus is stripped of his clothing. Which is humiliating in itself. And his hands tied to a post above his head. The Roman Roman legionnaire steps forward with this, this whip. This cat of nine tails consisting of several heavy leather thongs with two small balls of lead and maybe some uh, sharp rocks or broken bones that are uh, attached in the ends of those, those leather straps. This heavy whip is brought down with full force again and again across the, the back of Jesus, across his shoulders, across his legs, and begins to tear his body apart. At first, the heavy Thongs cut through the skin only. Then as the blows continue, they cut deeper into the tissue and producing oozing blood at first. And then the veins that are ripped and the skin begins to spurt forth with blood. You say that sounds gory and it was gory. These small balls of lead in these broken bones lead first to large deep bruises which are broken up upon subsequent blows. And finally, the skin of the back is hanging in long ribbons and the entire area is unrecognizable mass of torn and bleeding tissue. And when it's determined by the centurion in charge that the prisoner is near death, then the beating stops. They don't want to kill him right there. Extremely weak, Jesus is then untied and allowed to slump to the stone pavement. Wet with his own blood, they throw a robe across his shoulders and place a stick in his hand as a false scepter. A crown is formed of thorns, and the long thorn crown is pressed into his scalp. Again, there is extreme bleeding from his head and from his body. After mocking him and striking him across the face, the soldiers take the stick from his hand And they strike him upon his head, driving those long thorns into his head. Finally, the robe, after it's partially dried upon his back, then it's ripped from his back. Ripping everything open again. And then they place a heavy beam on his back, a cross, 
tied to his shoulders and the weight of the heavy wooden beam together with the shock produced by blood loss is too much. He stumbles and falls. The rough wood of the beam gouges into the torn skin and the muscles of the shoulders. He tries to rise, but his human muscles have been pushed beyond beyond their endurance. Do you understand? This is not a story. This is a reality. This is what Jesus Christ did for you and for me. He's taken to a, a place, Golgotha, and he's, he's laid there on that, that cross, and then they begin to nail his hands and his feet to the cross. And every time I think about that, as they begin to raise that cross up, I, I think about uh, when I was just a, a young boy and trying to place those corner posts, those cross ties into that big hole. We dig that big hole and, and dig it deep enough because you didn't want to have to try to pull it back out. And, and once it got up there, you, you just lifted and lifted, and then finally it slammed down. And can you imagine how the, the weight of Christ hanging from the nails, hanging there in, in writhing pain, his body turned up, torn apart, and as they raise the cross and it drops, ripping at everything in his body. That's why the scripture says every bone was out of joint. The pain of the crucifixion, the left foot is pressed backward against the right foot and both feet extended, toes down as the nails driven through the arch of each as he pushes himself upward to avoid the, uh, the, the, this torment of trying to breathe. He places his full weight on the nails of, the, of his feet just trying to get air into his lungs in the excruciating pain that must have seared through his body, through every nerve in his body. And finally, the fatigue, the great Waves of cramps sweep over the muscles and knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps come the inability to push himself up, so he's hanging by his arms, but you, you can't breathe that way, so he's got to push up to try to take in little short breaths and just to try a moment by moment to live a little bit longer until finally, until finally he says, it is finished. Apparently, to make doubly sure of death, the legionnaire drove his lance through the fifth interspace between the ribs, upward and toward his heart. Immediately there came out blood and water. And this, of course, my medical profession says that it's an indication and a proof that Jesus did not suffocate. He died of a broken heart, of heart failure. But he had to bleed. He had to shed his blood. Hebrews 9.22 says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. There would be no remission. There would be no forgiveness of sin if there was not the shedding of Jesus Christ's blood. Hebrews 10, 28 through 31 says, He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. 
Of how much more sore punishment suppose ye shall ye be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know that, ha- uh, that for we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The shedding of Christ's holy and perfect blood was and is essential to our salvation. So much so that God says that whoever attempts to detract from the importance of that blood should fear lest they fall into the hands of the living God. The blood of Christ. Those of you who are visiting and those that are regular, they know something about me. They know that I, I tend to interject humor into many, many of my messages. And I enjoy that because I think laughter doeth good like a medicine. But I'll be honest with you, as I prepared this morning and I thought about Easter Sunday and I thought about what Jesus did for our salvation, I can find no humor in it. Jesus was beaten and tortured beyond recognition. He shed his blood and he died. He died for our sins, as the little ones quoted the scripture over here. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But what we recognize today, what we rejoice in today is our blessed hope through the resurrection of Jesus. He suffered. Beaten beyond recognition, his body torn apart, suffering beyond comprehension. But what we rejoice in today is up from the grave he arose. He's alive. That's what it said up there on the screen. He's alive. Do you believe that? He's alive. He is alive. Jesus Christ is alive. Only Jesus arose from the grave. It says uh, Muhammad did not rise from the grave. A Buddha did not rise from the grave, but Jesus Christ arose from the grave. People may say that others have risen from the grave, and that's something I want to address this morning. You know, you say, others have risen from the grave, and when you read through Scripture, you find out this is true. Lazarus arose from the grave. Elijah was used to see a boy raised from the grave. Jesus spoke to a young girl, and she arose from the dead. So why is the resurrection so important to salvation? And why is it special in the resurrection of Christ when others have come back to life? And listen to me, this is where it comes, it comes into play here. This is where it's so vital. The difference will determine your destiny. Your decision about the shed blood, the death, the resurrection of Christ will determine your destiny. What you believe about the shed blood, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ will determine your destiny. But understand, and don't misunderstand this statement, but understand that simply believing a man was beaten and died and was buried and rose from the grave will not take you to heaven. First, we must truly understand what our text verse said. You see, Jesus was not simply resurrected by some external power. Jesus, the Christ, had to resurrect and live 
for he is the resurrection and the life. John 11, 25, 26, what we, our text verse said, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And he said, believeth thou this? Look to the question, believeth thou this? Not just that he had arose, but he is the resurrection and the life. He is almighty God in the flesh. He could not stay in the grave or heaven would crumble and fall. Jesus Christ is the resurrection. Anyone throughout all of biblical history that arose from the grave arose to the power of Jesus Christ. He is the resurrection. He is the life. He could not stay in the grave of death for all of life would cease if he had stayed in that tomb. All others who ever did or will live again do so through the omnipotent power of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, God incarnate, God in the flesh. Do you believe he is God? Do you believe that wicked sin of man nailed Jesus Christ, God himself, God incarnate, to the cross? He shed his blood. He, was, he died. He was buried. And watch, he arose from the grave. Because he is the resurrection. The grave could not hold him. The soldier out front couldn't make sure he stayed in. And all of hell came. They say the greatest power. I believe it is true. The greatest power that has ever been exhibited in all of creation was, was, was exhibited uh, it, when Jesus Christ arose from the grave. And you say, why is that? Because all of the power of evil was, was trying to keep him in that tomb. They misunderstood, though. They didn't understand. They thought that there might be something that caused him to rise. They didn't understand. He is the resurrection. He is the life. My question is, believest thou this? Believest thou this? Many people, many people come to church and, quote, worship Christ. And that still in our minds we believe a good man, a good person, and maybe through my good works, like he did, somehow I can earn my eternal life. Somehow, if there's a heaven or a hell, I'll go there. I'll go to heaven. But that doesn't determine heaven and hell. Right here, you can say, well, I believe Christ died. I believe he was buried and rose from the grave in your mind. But the scripture says, with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And when it really truly comes into your heart and you understand, I am a sinner. The wages of sin is death. That's both physical and eternal. We die today physically because of sin. Our bodies are decaying. Every breath we take, we're a breath closer to death. We can't stop it. We can't even slow it down. 
We try everything we can, but we can do nothing. We are not good enough to get to heaven through our own goodness. We are sinners and the wages, the payment for that sin is eternal death in hell. Watch this. We have another choice. We have another way for the payment to be made. Jesus Christ never sinned. He is God. He is God incarnate. He came in the flesh. He never sinned, yet he died. But the wages of sin is death. He didn't need to die. Why did he die? He died for you and for me to pay the sin debt we could not pay. We pay our own sin. We go to hell forever. It's like paying off a a credit card at 21% interest. And all you pay is the minimum payment. You will never get it paid off. And that's what hell is. We can just keep paying, but all we can do is pay the minimum payment, the interest on our payment, and we'll stay in hell forever and ever and ever. But Jesus Christ came and he could stamp it paid in full. Paid every dime. Paid every sin, and he came and did that. I give this example so so often when I'm talking to people, but this is something I cherish. This is a ring that my mama gave my daddy as a wedding ring. And when she died, the day that we took what was left of my mama's body into the grave, I asked my daddy for this ring. And I wear this everywhere I go as as a memory of the love that they had for each other. My daddy gave me this ring as a gift. And that day I could have looked at him and said, Daddy, I'll I'll give you $50. I'll give you $100. Or I could give you a, a dollar. And if I paid him even a dollar, it would no longer be a gift. And can I tell you, if I tried to pay him for it, he wouldn't have given it to me. I know my daddy, he would have looked at me and say, son, you either take it as a gift or you don't take it at all. And that day, this became mine. And I took it as a gift. And Jesus Christ comes and he says, I have eternal life for you. I didn't pay for this ring, my mom and daddy did. And I, didn't, I can't pay for my sin, Jesus did. And over in the 8th, 1975, I went to Jesus and I said, Jesus, could I have that ring? That ring that would show me and remind me of the love you have for me. And I could have looked at him and said, Jesus, I'll go to church and I'll get baptized and I'll try to be good to people. And Jesus would have looked at me and said, no, you don't get it that way. Well, how can I have it? You take it as a gift or you don't get it at all. You see, it's 100% what he did. Jesus paid it all. 
On November the 8th, 1975, with a little Gideon's Bible, I knelt down beside my bed at Memphis State University. And I said, Lord, I don't understand it all. But no, I know, according to the scripture, I'm a sinner. I know because of that sin, I deserve to go to hell. But Jesus, I accept you as my Savior. I'm asking you to give me the gift of eternal life and take me to heaven when I die. And can I tell you, people mock at this and people make fun at this, but they'll say this can't be that easy. But can I tell you, anything more difficult would not be a gift. It's only a gift if it's completely paid for. And with the heart... Man believeth unto righteousness. I have no righteousness. There's none righteous, no, not one. What do I, mu I must have? The full and complete righteousness of Jesus. And you only get it as a gift. And that night I trusted Christ as my Savior. With the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. My question Believeth thou this? Jesus, beaten beyond recognition. Jesus, nailed to a cross and suffered and died. Jesus, who paid our penalty and suffered our hell. And he's looking to each of us. And can I tell you, his blood was shed for everyone in here. And when we say, I will take care of you, what we say is, Jesus, the blood you shed for me was wasted. No. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. But we've got to receive it. Father, I pray that you bless. Lord, it's been a wonderful morning.